thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keaton. I'm joined today by Harry Brent as we run the rule over the first trophy that's been dished out this season Harry I'm not really sure we can call it a trophy because it doesn't look like one and, and Frankie I think I said on podcast last week because we've described the uh, community shield as a glorified friendly but trophies and medals handed out nonetheless uh, Arsenal claiming the first silverware of the season uh, with their penalty shootout win over Manchester City uh, plenty of, of talking points from that game perhaps more so than, than most community shields of, 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 of recent years for sure um, but in terms of those talking points, we'll come on to them in a second. But just as a, as a general overview on the game, Harry, how did, how did you see it pan out? Obviously, it's hard to say, you know, who was the deserving victors because, of course, it ended 1-1 and there was a, a penalty shootout that followed. But in terms of, of, of the match itself, was there anything that stood out in particular for you? Well, I think, I mean, it was a, it was a cagey match. So, that you know, you sort of got, I mean, both teams were at full strength. So you, you got a good sense of how they were going to set up for the season. I guess it's, you know, it's expected to be sort of a little bit, you know, cagey and stuff. But the thing that stood out for me most, I'd say, was the fact that unlike the three games they played, those two teams played last season, this one was pretty even. I mean, you could probably, if you're a City fan, you might say, well, we had the lion's share of the best chances, a little bit more possession and all that sort of stuff. But compared to the three games they had last season where City were pretty comfortable in all of those, this felt a lot more even. It felt like two teams, you know, very little sort of separating them. So. I mean, that should be a really good side for Arsenal going forward. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the win, getting the win over over City as well is, 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 is huge. But I think generally speaking, just sort of going toe-to-toe and being about the same level will be a big, big, there's a big step forward for, for them. And you saw what it meant after the game. They were, they were, you know, I know they got a bit of stick for it over celebrating the, uh, the, the win, but uh, I don't, in some ways, I don't think you can blame them. Game one of the new season and we were already starting to see the celebration police come out. And of course, look, if you can't celebrate when you get medals, when can you? Um, again, even if it is, as I said earlier, just a glorified friendly. But we did see some, uh, as I said there at the top of the show, plenty to talk about, plenty to get into. And, and perhaps top of the list should be uh, a couple of things that we saw in this game that, that uh, we're going to have to get used to this season, of course. Uh, one of those being how long the game was, Arsenal scoring deep into stoppage time as well because of this new initiative about uh, getting more, ensuring that the ball's in play for longer. We'll come on to that a little bit more in depth first. And Arsenal benefited from that, but something that Arsenal didn't benefit from, and, and Mikel Arteta in particular, was a clamp down this season on how managers react to decisions. And again, you know, Mikel Arteta, and I mean, we probably should have expected a yellow card yesterday because Mikel Arteta and Pep Guardiola are probably two of the more animated managers in the Premier League. You'd, you'd put Jurgen Klopp in that category for sure as well. So we probably should have expected at least one of them to get a yellow card yesterday and, and it was Mikel Arteta uh, in the first half receiving that yellow card for, for remonstrating a bit stronger. He said after the game it's it's hard for him because that's his nature, that's his personality. So to change it so quickly, it, it's you know it's something that he's going to have to work on. And I suppose from from fans' point of view as well, it's something we're going to have to get used to as well. That We are going to be seeing definitely in the early weeks and, and months of the season, we're going to be seeing more yellow cards dished out to managers than we have done previously. But again, it, it, it's probably good to see because of the impact and the role models that they are and the impact that they have on the wider game that, that actually this clampdown is probably right and needed so that it kind of does show the managers are I'm not saying that they're disrespectful towards the referees but 
by not remonstrating as much. It shows that the referees are held in much more respect than we have perhaps in, in previous campaigns seen. I think so. I mean, I, I definitely think it's it's the right thing. I mean, we, we expect it of players. Players are not allowed to, you know, if they, I mean, well, they do get away with some some nasty stuff towards the referees. But generally speaking, if, if, a, if a player reacts angrily, overly emotionally towards a referee, they will get punished for it. And I don't see why we shouldn't expect the same of managers. I think the rule has been a long time coming. And as you say, particularly given the, the sort of role model status that that everyone in football has, you know, there is this weird culture of, of, of horrible abuse of of officials. And the only way to stamp it out is to get the blokes on the um, on the and the and the women on the TV screen, you know, stopping stopping the behaviour. So, um, I and I, the, the, I mean, I think Arteta has a a reasonably fair sort of counterpoint, which is you're expecting us to change our behaviour overnight. But I think the only way to to actually make an impact with these sorts of behaviors is to make sort of tough decisions and go look mate you, you know this is this is something you have to get used to otherwise you're going to you're going to be punished for it because if you if you just sort of go right okay well, well we'll let you get away with it for a little bit and then maybe be a bit softer on you then that doesn't really prove anything so i think uh, yeah i i'm i'm all for it personally i know uh, i know managers do have sort of habits on the touchline but there's no reason why they can't just be animated about the game itself or when they're sort of communicating with their players, there's no reason why they need to direct that at the officials. So, as I say, I'm all for it. Yeah, I should say that they do need to be tough on it in the early weeks of the season because this is obviously something that we've seen previously in football. We've had it for a number of years now where, you know, they were told that they could book and send off managers for 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 kind of uh, behaviour in the in the uh, on the touchline that, that probably contradicts what, what they should be doing. Um, but we've not really seen it policed probably properly, isn't it? You know, we when we heard it come in, we probably expected how they're policing it now and going to police it this season is probably how we expected it to be policed from the start. But it's only a few years down the line that we're starting to see it. See it. They don't really have actually an excuse or a leg to stand on when it comes to we need to change your behaviour because they've known for a few years that they probably shouldn't be doing it and they've got away with it. But we'll we'll leave that point there for now. In terms of the other thing that we saw as well, like I said there uh, earlier about the... Uh, the longer the length of the games you know it's something that we've again seen before and it's it's good in practice we saw it during the world cup didn't we 100 minute games we've seen it during the women's world cup as well which is obviously going on right now that again 100 minute matches that we're seeing in there um, and it's not just in the premier league as well that we're seeing it we're seeing it all the way through the football system um you know even even down into non-league as well i was watching an interview with uh, daphne from redbridge's boss this morning where he was talking about the fact that games are now going to be longer because they're going to try and, and you know, cut down and clamp down on time wasting to ensure that the, the ball is in for as much as 90 minutes as possible. If it means that they have to pay 15 minutes of stoppage time, so be it. So that managers are now kind of thinking, all right, okay, so it's 70 minutes. I don't have 20 minutes left. I've got 30 minutes left almost. But again, this is this is probably for the benefit of, of everyone. I know Raphael Varane's come out this morning and and kind of uh, tweeted, suggesting that it's it's not helpful for players in that it adds more into, you know, more minutes into their system and, and they're already at breaking point and this is just going to push them past it. But while I understand that point from a fan's point of view, it, it seems like a good thing because you're not getting shortchanged. You are going to get 90 minutes of football rather than 60 minutes and 30 minutes of the ball out of play. And, and there's even games that we've seen in where the ball's been out of play for more than a half as well, isn't it? Like some of the shocking numbers that we saw around it. So I can't help but think this is actually going to be another positive for fans even if players are a little bit against it early on. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think overall it's a positive thing. I understand where Varane's coming from. I think footballers these days are pushed to their absolute limits, particularly post-COVID where, you know, all the fixtures were crammed up and, you know, they have very long pre-seasons and 
you know, if you're, the, if you're at one of the top clubs, you're playing in three or four competitions. So I understand where he's coming from, but I, I agree with what he said. I, I think we've seen loads of, or in most games, the ball is out for, for a good 20, 30 minutes, uh, if not, if not even longer. So, um, I do think it's generally a good thing. Um, and we saw in the world cup, I don't really think it, it hinders anything. I, I mean, it adds a new sort of exciting dimension of, right. Okay. This is a kind of new phase of the game because when there's just one or two minutes added on, it really does feel like, right, this is just, we're at the end of the game now, there's one last chance sort of thing. But when 10, 12, 15 minutes or whatever it is go up, then it really does sort of, you know, give that give that extra sort of spark to a game. Uh, it is it is odd. I, was, I mean, I was covering the community shoot yesterday and just writing the, the word 101st minute goal is something that's going to take a lot of getting used to. Um, but no, I, I like it. I think I think it's right. It will, it will stop time. It will, you know, do... Uh, uh, go a long way to, to stopping time wasting. My only wonder is that obviously, if they, you know, if 10, 10, 15 minute injury times are a, are a normal thing, people will probably start time wasting at the sort of last two minutes of that of that little period. So we we'll probably won't lose it completely, but it'll uh, it'll definitely definitely help. And again, much like the managers earlier on, you know, the players are upset and disappointed about it. But the fact of the matter is, stop time wasting and you'll play 90 mini matches again. <laughs> it's a very easy solution to all of this. Yeah, don't demonstrate with referees, you won't get booked and, and just keep the ball in play and you won't play 100 mini matches. Very easy when, when you dial it all back. Um, but just in, in terms of the game itself, Harry, in, in, and in terms of what we saw from Arsenal as well, we're a fairly busy summer for them so far. And, and by the sounds of it, they're not done just yet. David Raya closing in on the move. To, uh, to the Emirates Stadium to join Urien Timber, Declan Rice and Kai Habert. Those three we all saw in the Community Shield win all, all making their competitive debuts for Arsenal finally. Uh, it, it, did any one of those stand out for you in particular? Did any of the new boys shine or, or you know, go the other way and perhaps not impressed like you would have expected after a, a, a big signing? I think, I think Rice was probably the standout of those three. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily his best performance, but I think he showed glimpses of why Arsenal paid all the money that they did pay for him. Uh, and, you know, we know, we all know Rice's quality, you know, especially if you're English, you watch him, watch him for the national team, you know exactly how good he is. And he will be an important player for them. I was impressed with Timber, particularly because he was playing out of position at left back. I know he, I know he, he's played right back sometimes, but, uh, you know, it's, as far as I know, he hasn't played a huge amount of games at left back and up against some really good attacking quality in Man City. I thought he he had he had a pretty good game, and I, you know I mentioned going the other way. I mean the one the one that sort of didn't look so good was was Kai Havertz. We spoke about this um, last time or a couple of times before when I was on. I don't really think that's where he's going to going to play. I mean, obviously you, you expect him get based on preseason. I think he's going to be used as a as one of the number eights in midfield. So I think he's he's only really there because Gabriel Jesus is, is is out and we saw last season at Chelsea, that sort of number nine or false nine role doesn't really suit him. Um, you know, he can fill in there, but it's not really his role. So I, I think it's probably a little bit too early to judge uh, Havertz properly. But uh, yeah, he, he, if he was probably not, not uh, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't particularly looking, looking great. But as I say, too early to judge him, especially in that position. Must be a smack in the face as well for for the likes of Lillian Kessier, who was on the bench yesterday, for Lauren Bannigan um, as well, that Kai Havertz used exclusively as a midfielder throughout pre-season, as you said there, to then come to the first game of the season, Gabriel Jesus is, is out injured, and, and rather than give both of those guys a chance, he goes and you know, puts a square peg in a round hole, as, as we've touched on many times in this show, Kai Havertz probably isn't realistically a, a striker, and 
and you had two out and out strikers on the bench and, and they didn't see fit to give them a chance. It must be tough for them as well. I think so. I mean, particularly in Katia, because I think he's obviously, you know, he's he's been sort of lo- loyally sitting on the bench waiting for his chance. And, uh, you know, I think with Balogun, it make, makes sense that he'd sort of say, I want to be a starter or 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 sell me. Um, I don't think Nketiah quite has the sort of pull to to expect that. So yeah, I, I would have. I, I think he would have been uh, ha, would have had every right to be a bit bit annoyed by uh, uh, by getting picked behind Havertz. But um, yeah, you know, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, you'll get some. You'll get a little bit more chances going forward. From Manchester City's perspective, um, and again, looking at their summer business, <laughs> the exit door has been far busier so far than than the entrance door. Mateo Kovacic uh, coming in from Chelsea, Oscar Vardy over the weekend uh, completing. His move to the Etihad Stadium as well. But you can't help but think, and especially after yesterday, I mean, no City took the lead, and if we were playing normal matches and we weren't playing 100 minute games, they would have won and they'd have been lifting the trophy and we'd say how great they are. But you can't help but feel that they need reinforcements, they need more players. And, that, and I think yesterday probably showed that, you know, when you look through the starting 11, when you look through the bench as well, that perhaps there's a little bit light going into the season the trust you know look, we're recording this August 7th there's still plenty of time let's not get away from that there's still plenty of time for Mad City to get the players in that they need but I just can't help but feel that they're starting the season in particular just a little bit light in particular in midfield as well where obviously all has gone they've not replaced him and, and on the flanks too as well Riyad Mahrez departing and yes they've got Cole Palmer but he's still developing as a footballer he's not at the levels that, that Mahrez was previously operating on yeah I think um I think I think you're absolutely right in a sense. There is a sort of gnawing sense that they could probably do with do with one or two names. I'm not sure you, the Community Shield necessarily show that because, as you say, I mean, uh, you know, that that could be, they could have wrapped that game up in the in the final few minutes, and and as you say, we'll be here sort of celebrating how great they are. But um, I do think there is definitely a case to say that they need some reinforcements on the way. I think your point about Gundogan's good because you know he was such a he's sort of an un- underrated asset in their team, and Matteo Kovacic isn't quite the same player as, as Gundogan so I don't think that's a particularly like for like replacement but I think on the wings is is definitely a place to strengthen I mean as you say Cole, Cole Palmer looked like he could sort of step up and fill in but Mara's leaving a year after Raheem Sterling left particularly given that they didn't quite replace Raheem Sterling I know Julian Alvarez came in but again he's not quite the same sort of player so I sort of almost feel like they're two wingers down and you know uh, I would be very surprised if they went into the new season without signing another another sort of wide forward. I know they've been linked with Michael Elise, uh, who I think would be really, really good, smart sort of purchase for them. Uh, you know, that sort of blend of elegance and creativity would be would be really good for them. Uh, so yeah, I think that's probably the one the one place. But I mean, this is the thing: we City are so strong. At, you know, everywhere obviously they've just gone gone and bought the you know seventy eight million pound Josco Guardiol and. Uh, you know, people aren't even sure whether he'll start. So they, you know, and obviously they're absolutely sorted for goal scorers and and also all sorts of things. So they're they they're going to be absolutely fine. But I do think, yeah, if if they went into the season without getting another winger, I'd be a bit cons- not, concerned. Is the wrong word because they're the, they're the strongest team in the league. But I'd be a bit confused, I guess. You do wonder whether or not Pep Guardiola should sign Oscar Guardiola and play him in midfield instead. I never thought. Guardiola wanted wanted to get something trick a tune out of him at winger. He probably could, <laughs> but exactly. I never thought we'd get to the point where Pep Guardiola would be the manager in the Premier League, building a team of eleven centre halves. But we might be getting there. Yeah, <laughs> we never would have had that down with our bingo cards, would we? Um, but just finally on the match, uh, before we move on to a wider point about transfers, Harry. Just finally on the match, 
from what we saw yesterday, do we still think that, that Arsenal Manchester City are going to be the top two in English football this season again? Uh, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I'd probably say so. Uh, I mean, it's easy to look at last season and, and assume that things are going to be roughly the same. Um, the only question, I think that the only thing is there's loads of question marks hanging over sort of rest of the big boys, if you want to call it. And I think a, a really good start to the season for any of Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Newcastle, maybe even Spurs, Ned, uh, could push them into the uh, into the title race. So I would I would expect those to be those two teams to be one and two, most mostly because I think they're the only two teams who have a pretty well established first eleven, no sort of notable gaps. Um, but uh, other than that, I you know I, it, it, it's sort of guesswork in a way. We'll, we'll just sort of need to see how the season starts before I you know I'd like to sort of make a big sort of point about who I think is going to be right at the top come May, but. Um, yeah, at the moment, at the t- you know, at the time of speaking, they they do look the strongest. And if I again, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say they'd be one and two. Harry, as I said, they're moving across to transfers now, and and of course, the big aside from Oscar Vardy, we've already talked about this morning. I suppose the big story over the weekend is that Man United completing the deal for Rasmus Grealand. Is he the twenty goal a season striker that they need up top? They've probably been lacking for a number of years now. Really, that you know, yes, when they came back in and, and he grabbed the goals, but kind of all fell apart last season. But but they've probably been lacking a, a real kind of focal point for you know, I'd, I'd argue probably six or seven years now. Even even Romelu Lukaku, as as good as he was, I don't think that was ever the kind of perfect fit for Manchester United. And it seems that. I don't know about Hoyland. I think there's a lot of pressure on a 20-year-old to, to go and be the leading man for, for such a big part. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one as well because he's not the typical profile of a, you know, historically of an Eric Ten Hag centre-forward. Um, you know, looking at looking back at who he used at Ajax, it was usually a sort of mix of a false nine like Dusan Tadic or, or a sort of big bruising number nine like uh, Klaas-Jan Huntelaar or Sebastian Haller. So it seems to be like a bit of a gamble. But I think there is a sort of sense that I, I, I really liked how Man United's attack was very sort of interchangeable, um, you know, between the, the midfielders, even the sort of defensive midfielders like Fred would get get forward, the attackers would drop in, change positions. I think Hoyland's sort of pace and agility and, you know, reasonable technical ability will probably be an, an asset to that. So I think there's a there's a good chance it could work. But I think you're right. Like, it's, it's a lot of pressure to put on a to put on a 20-year-old who's, you know, only got you know, months of senior, proper senior football under his belt. So it is one of those that sort of could go, could go either way. He looks talented. Um, you know, he's obviously got an eye for goal. And if Ten Hag has identified a really sort of, uh, you know, savvy signing, then, then fair play to them. But on the other hand, you know, if he starts the season slowly and misses a couple of chances, could, could we see his confidence drop and, and, you know, it becomes a bit of a team over a situation, who knows? So um, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I'd say I'm 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 really intrigued by it. I, I really want to see how he sort of fits into in, into the lineup and, and exactly the role he plays. Because you know, as, as far as I can tell, it'll be it'll be a new sort of um, attacking dynamic for for a Ten Hag team. Another big move over the weekend was of course Chelsea snapping up Robert Sanchez, twenty five million pounds for the goalkeeper from Brighton. Things happened probably behind the scenes that we're not privy to at Brighton uh, that, that resulted in him being uh, dropped even from the matchday squad at the back end of last season. So I think the writing was on the wall that he would move on from Brighton this summer. In terms of Chelsea, is he 
the step up that they need from Kepa. Kepa were the, had the, probably from the Chelsea's better performers, I'd say, last season. And, and I know that's not setting the bar particularly high. It was a, a bit of a, a difficult campaign for sure for Chelsea. But you kind of almost feel a little bit sorry for Kepa in that he you know, has, a, has a decent season, isn't given the chance uh, by Mauricio Prochettino to be his number one. And he goes out and snaps up Robert Sanchez instead, who we you know probably guess that he will be installed as, as Chelsea's number one come the new season. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, that my first thought after he signed was that he was a, a sort of stopgap option. I think he's a you know decent keeper at a decent price. Um, the fact that Chelsea have been linked were or were linked with the likes of Mike Manion and Andre Onana, Giorgio Mamadashvili, a few few sort of other other goalkeepers suggests to me that they're probably going to go in for a goalkeeper again in a in a year or two. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how 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 Sanchez fits in. I mean, uh, as as you say, I think Kepa had a, a decent season last last season, and obviously he seems to have sort of shaken off the kind of demons of of his gaff prone 2019-2020 season, where it's just everything went wrong for him. Um, and he, you know, he, he showed sort of noticeable improvement under Tuchel, and 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 then improved on it again last season. So, um, but I, there's still a lot of question marks around you know around him in general. Um, Seems to me like Maurizio Pochettino. Comments coming out sort of over the summer suggested that Maurizio Pochettino wanted to use him as the number one, and sort of felt like he could develop him into the kind of goalkeeper he he uh, uh, he sort of promised to be when he arrived. And as I said, I don't think like Robert Sanchez doesn't seem to me like an obvious immediately slotting in at number one. I think there'll probably be a bit of a sort of fight over the over the position at least for the first few weeks to decide who who goes there. But um, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. I mean, you know, competition for places will probably be healthy for both of them. Particularly as as you say, Sanchez losing his Brighton place last season will have might have might have dashed his confidence a little bit. So that you know, they'll probably end up helping each other coming in. Sticking with goalkeepers and Spanish goalkeepers in particular, so see there at Chelsea and in Kepa and Robert Sanchez and a, and a third run in London as well, David Raya, and it looks like he's going to be staying in London, closing in as we said earlier in the show on the move to Arsenal. In terms of his position at Arsenal, £40 million is the fee that's being mooted. You'd expect then if you're paying £40 million for a goalkeeper that he probably goes straight in as, as number one. Is, is that how we see it? That he usurps Aaron Ramsdale straight away? Or is it, again, like you said there about Chelsea, that there could be a battle on at least first? But I'm always just thinking that if you are spending that amount of money on a goalkeeper, he's not going to be sitting on the bench. And yeah, it, it just seems that... I mean, it's a strange one. I think Arsenal still have one or two areas that they need to add a bit more depth in. So I'm not sure spending £40 million on a, on a goalkeeper. Aaron Ramsdale, you know, a couple of errors in the running that, that cost Arsenal five points and led to Arsenal losing five points. And that's the gap that they were behind City come the end of the season. But I just feel it's a little bit harsh on Aaron Ramsdale. But of course, we'll, we'll see whether or not Raya's going to come straight in as, as number one or like you say there, you know, kind of might have to uh, spend a little bit of time on the bench first once he gets into the new club, much like Robert Sanchez at Chelsea and kind of fight for that, that you know, try and get the shirt from Ramsdale at least. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think it, it does seem a bit harsh on on Ramsdale. And I, my initial thought with this again was probably comp- the, you know they'll they'll compete over the number one spot. But but actually, Arteta, generally speaking, has a very sort of set eleven in mind. At least this is the, this is what it looked like last season. He had it as eleven, and he trusted that eleven. Generally speaking, unless there was an injury, he wouldn't really change it. So you'd imagine that he he wouldn't suddenly start rotating his goalkeepers. So I think you're probably right in the sense that. It, he, he, if they're spending forty, especially if they're spending forty million, that is a big price for a goalkeeper. Raya is probably coming in to be number one. There was obviously, as, as you mentioned, there sort of talk of of, of uh, Arteta losing a little faith in in Ramsdale after he 
it's sort of spell of inconsistent form right at the important period last season. So uh, that that may that may well have cost him. Um, so yeah, I yeah, I, I think I think is I think it's a good signing. I think if it, if it if if it is sort of competition for places, similar situation as I just described at Chelsea, they can kind of you know make each other uh, you know keep each other on their toes and stuff. But um, yeah, if if it sounds to me, it looks like he's probably coming in to to replace to replace Ramsdale, which as I say is, is a little bit harsh given given Ramsdale's uh, you know general form over the past year or two. And as well, not notwithstanding the fact that he seems such a character in the Arsenal dressing room as well, we've all watched the Amazon Prime documentary and that that's kind of, you know, something that I presume Aaron Ramsdale himself wouldn't be happy if he does drop to the bench and, and that might be something that if Arsenal were to, to move him on, then we're not saying he'll do it this summer, but it could be further down the line that they'll lose a, a character like him from the dressing room as well. And he won the impact that Nat has on the, on the wider squad. Yeah, I mean, it, those sorts of things can be really important, especially, um, you know, I know that... Uh, Arsenal are very, very focused on building a really sort of good family atmosphere and and you know good vibes and all that sort of stuff. So um, you know it will be a shame if, if one of the biggest characters in the dressing room is unhappy and feels a bit mistreated. Um, so you know we'll we'll see. But you know as, as I say, hope you know hopefully that if, if that does happen, Arsenal know how to manage it and and, and can sort of uh, you know make sure nothing nothing too detrimental happens to the to the harmony in the squad. Harry Kane. Now, the reason why I probably took a big intake of, of breath is, of course, this is probably uh, one of the sagas of the summer. Willie won't he uh, join Bayern Munich? Uh, of course, his contract runs down next year, out of contract this time next year. Spurs have, what was it at the weekend, wasn't it? Uh, Friday, I think it was being reported. It's uh, close to about £85 million, pounds, wasn't it? About 100 million euros, 85 million uh, British sterling for a player that's, whose contract's going to run out this time next year. Um, how do we see this one going? Again, you know, <laughs> remind everyone listening that we are recording this Monday, August 7th. So there's plenty of time between the transfer window uh, shutting and now uh, for, for a lot to change when it comes to this deal. But how do we see this one playing out? You know, Harry Kane himself reportedly last week put something of an artificial deadline on on the whole saga by saying that if he, uh, if he is still at Tottenham by the time they open their campaign against Brentford this weekend, he expects to stay at Tottenham for the season. So I suppose to him, gives him that certainty, certainty that knowledge that, you know, he, he knows where he's playing his future, uh, where his future lies for this season, at least anyway. But I, I don't suspect Bayern Munich are going to be, you know, oh, okay, Harry, you've you played for Tottenham in that first Premier League game, we'll go away now. I know that he said, you know, that even Friday's deal was their their final offer. But I, I, from my point of view, I think this one's still got plenty of time to run before we uh, reach deadline day on, on September 1st. I think, I think it absolutely has. I mean, if history tells us anything, it's that Daniel Levy, you know, likes to let these, whether he's buying or selling, he likes to let these sort of deals run their course and get right to the end of the transfer window. So um, it's it's really hard to call at the moment. I mean, for the longest time, I, I assumed that Kane would stay just because I, I didn't think the push was enough to to, uh, to 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 get him out, particularly with the sort of figures quoted. I know the, the, the figures come down. It doesn't look like it's going to get over 100 million pounds. As you say, 100 million euros is the latest, is the latest offer. Um, I, I, the, the, in terms of the buy-in ultimatum, sort of accept this deal or we'll walk away. I don't really think that that's something that Levy will will uh, you know that's, that's not going going to appease him at all. I don't think he's the kind of bloke to roll over and go all right. Then I think he's the, he, he's kind of person who will say right, okay, you're going to deal like that, then 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 the deal's off. So, um, 
And I think there will probably be a sense within Tottenham that because Kane, I don't know, Kane will stay professional no matter what. I don't, I don't think he's going to push for for an exit. He's not going to do anything to, to sour the reputation he has with the club. So uh, there's probably an internal sense of, well, even if if we don't get the exact fee that we want this summer, even even if we're taking a big gamble, you know, risking losing him for free next summer, there's a good chance that we can convince him not to, you know, not to let that situation get there, sign a little extension. They could even offer him a sort of similar situation to the one that PSG offered Mbappe, where they sort of had a guaranteed sale clause. I know Mbappe rejected that that contract offer, but there could be a sort of similar situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm starting to think that he's going to he's going to stay now. I've been sort of flip flopping over the over the two all summer, um, but uh, either way, as as you've touched on before, I think it will run until August thirty first for sure. It's good for us. We need something to talk about. We need a transfer saga. Too many clubs have been sensible and got their business done early on in this window, and it's very upsetting for us. But thankfully as well, we might have another saga uh, that's popping up. Um, reports over the weekend linking uh, Mohamed Salah with a move uh, to Saudi Arabia uh, and, and Al Ithiad in particular. Uh, Jurgen Klopp must hate the Saudi Arabian League at this point, having already lost Jordan Henderson and, and Fabinho to that league uh, this this summer. He spoke last week ahead of their pre-season friendly against Bayern Munich saying that because it goes on longer. So there we go. We've got that to talk about as well, haven't we? The fact that the Saudi Arabian League is, uh, their, their transfer deadline is is longer past uh, what the Premier League has and, and other European leagues has as well and the, and the issues that could cause. Um, it's not the first league that, that's done that. We've seen that in the past with other ones. But Mohamed Salah being linked with Al Ittihad, Reports in Saudi Arabia saying that they're, they're willing to pay Liverpool uh, about £51.8 million when that's converted. Uh, and and Saya himself would get £155 million over a two-year contract. We have had an update on this this morning, though, uh, just before we came live, thankfully. I like it when that happens. Uh, that Mohamed Salah's agent himself um, has, has kind of, you know, squashed those rumours in particular by the sounds of it by saying that uh, if he was to leave Liverpool, then why would he have signed a contract last year, the five-year deal uh, last summer? So that's positive news for Liverpool fans. Is it concern? Again, much like Bayern Munich, I don't think they're going to go away quietly. And, and I think you know, Mohamed Salah and and Saudi Arabia and and the kind of you know he's a he's a he's a massive star, massive name in the Arab world, and and you know that's something that we've seen the Saudi league so far try to attract. You know, they've already got Riyad Mahrez out there. I, I think they'd love another superstar in the Arab world like. Mohamed Salah, and I'm sure, again, you know, just because the agent said we don't want to do it, that's just him, you know, being clever and making sure that his 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 client probably gets a better deal out there. But is this something that could go on throughout the summer, or do we think that that Salah again is? I mean, you know, I I think he'll probably stay, but it, it's just a nightmare and a headache for Liverpool ahead in the new season, isn't it? That again, another key player, another man who was part of that run to the 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 Champions League final win in 2019, the Premier League a year later, big part of that, you know push almost winning the quadruple in, in 2022 and that another one looks like he uh, is, is subject to plenty of interest from Saudi Arabia yeah it'll, I mean it'll, it'll be interesting to see you know when the dust settles in a in a day or two just where we're at with this um obviously new new revelations and everything um yeah I mean if 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 this ran you know into the into the sort of next few weeks and and or, or if or if Liverpool ended up selling him we'd, I think it would really be bad news just not least because I mean they've had so much sort of change over the past couple of years players going out new players coming in not quite settling Salah is one of the few sort of Liverpool players who are you know exactly know exactly their place in the team provides pretty consistent top quality performances week in week out 
you know, I, I think it would be really bad news for Liverpool to, you know, obviously I know financial fair play regulations means that clubs are always looking for what, where can we, you know, get a, get a little bit of money. There's probably nowhere else that's going to, you know, in a year or two is going to spend big, big money to get, to get seller out of Liverpool. So there'll be a temptation to sort of go, well, maybe we could, we could justify that sense. But I think, as you said, given the disruption of a cause to them right at the start of the season, uh, you know, and it, I just, I really don't think it'll, uh, it'll, it'll be worth doing. Um, I think he's also a big enough star where where Liverpool could sort of go like, look, even even if you think you know you if you really want the move, you know, pushing for it or whatever, we they could still sort of say to him, look, you are you are our absolute top player. We're not gonna we're not gonna let you go. Maybe let's have a conversation in twelve months when the picture's a little different when we've had chan- a chance to sort of uh, source a replacement or identify potential replacements. But uh, yeah, I, I would be surprised. I mean, again, we, we'll see how things go in the next few days and weeks, but I'd be surprised if this one happens. Harry, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time as always on the show. Of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the transfer window and the return of the Premier League this weekend across the Daily Mirror, Daily Express and Daily Star websites. We'll also have the return main Football Digest show later on in the week looking ahead to the open weekend of Premier League action. So be sure to look out for that. But for now, it's goodbye. Goodbye.